Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Stewardship Leader. I'm your host, Leo Sabo, and on this episode, we're talking about emotions and our money. How do our emotions impact the way we make and spend our money? And I'm joined by my friend, Chris Goulart, today for this conversation. You can also access this discussion via video from our website. You can go to our resource page under videos, or you can go to christianstewardshipnetwork.com slash videos to access it. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into the conversation with Chris Goulart. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another Friday discussion where we talk about biblical principles that impact our personal lives and, of course, those that we get to teach if we have that opportunity. Uh, today, I have with me my friend Chris Goulart, and we're going to talk about a really important topic, and it's about the emotions of money. Uh, we've talked about greed. We talk about covetousness. We talk about fear. So many things that really relate to the way we manage money. but Today, we really want to dive into how does the emotional side of things come into this thing? And it's a really important part of money management and how we relate to money. Um, so, Chris, why don't you get, kick us off with how does emotions impact our money? Uh, and, and, and what are the things that we need to consider as we talk about this emotional side of money? Mm, well, first of all, I would say that, that I think the emotional aspects of money are just as important, if not more important, to be teaching people than the practical mm-hmm. or even the spiritual aspects. And, and yeah. I, one of the things is when I started our ministries at Saddleback many years ago, um, I was really focused on the spiritual and the practical, you know, teaching people how to do things. That was the practical side. And, and they need to do that. I mean, they need the tools. That's great. Um, and, you know, we'd have verses in, so we'd help people to understand where biblically, where does that come from and all that. Um, and it was, you know, that was helping people for sure. But what I found was a lot of times people would kind of start doing what, what I was trying to teach them how to do for a while. And then they'd fall off the tracks again. Mm. Um, and I couldn't understand what was going on. It really took me a long time to figure it out. Um, but what I realized was it was the emotions that were really getting them off track. It, it wasn't, you know, cause we had taught them how to do a budget, for example, I and mean, it's not hard, but yeah. why didn't they want to do a budget? So what it came down to is that they, they had emotions around that and really in effect, didn't want to do it. And so you'd have one spouse that wanted to, and one spouse that didn't create a lot of conflict. And I wasn't fixing the conflict if we didn't address the emotional issue. So anyway, so I think the emotions around it are really, really important to talk about. Yeah, it's like where the rubber meets the road. I mean, you could talk about the concepts, the principles, the how-to, but when you actually get to do it, that's when the emotion starts to emerge. And when they do, if you don't have a solution on how you're going to deal with that, well, it's more than likely, I mean, I've experienced the same thing it's more than likely going to stop their progress. And it's either going to make them frustrated and have them come back to you and saying, this isn't working. And, and early on when I was coaching people, I would just say, well, just go back and do what I told you to do. <laughs> it's like, you know, you don't get it. That's not yeah. the issue. The issue is not the information. It's the application. And emotions get in the way of that because there's so much uh, connected to that. So let's talk about some of the common negatives and positive emotions around money, because I think that's, that's one of the ways that we could identify. I know for me, I needed to look at how I'm managing money, 
personally, but also how my wife was managing money and how that was creating a little bit of a rub and then learn how to communicate with her about it because it was definitely causing some fights. Um, so let's talk about the, let's start with the negative emotions around money and then we'll go to the positives. Mm. Okay. Well, I think probably the most powerful emotion one can ever have is fear. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? It's a, and yeah. it's a, it's usually a negative emotion. God gave us fear for reasons. I mean, it, it, you, you learn lessons through it there, and there's fear that can be helpful at times, sure, sure. but, but if it's not put into context and dealt with properly, um, you know, fear can really derail you and, yeah. uh, in all aspects of life, but when we're talking about the finances. I mean, it can come out of a lot of different places, you know, and people are, I, I really think a lot of the emotional stuff around money starts in childhood. It's what you learn from your parents, not necessarily what they teach you overtly, but what you watch them doing. So it's kind of what's caught instead of what's taught. Mm -hmm. uh, we often say, um, and so I, I think, you know, people that grow up poor, for example, often have a fear, you know, they, they kind of advance over time, but they have a fear of regressing back to being poor again. And there's this fear around, you know, going into poverty or for a lot of people, they, you know, for years, there were a lot of studies that were saying the number one fear for women is running out of money when they get older. Um, so, you know, ending up being like a poor widow kind of a concept is like one of their top fears in life. Um, so anyway, fear, fear is a really big one. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, and I think another one is also shame uh, around money. Mm. And, and that could be caused because we've made some mistakes. And so, you know, we're, we're suffering the consequences of that. And it looks bad inside and outside. Uh, but the other one also is due to comparison. So I, I know that there are tons of examples that we could use. But I think those two really pertain to the fact that sometimes we make money decisions based on our emotions and that sometimes shame is what causes us to either overspend or not spend. It just depends on the situation, but shame is a big one, I think. I think so too. And it really gets to the issue of spiritual identity. I mean, if, if we're truly rooted in our identity in Christ, we wouldn't be comparing ourselves to others around us. Right. That's true. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's right in the 10 commandments, you know, don't covet. Right. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we don't, you know, people read that today and they say, well, my neighbor doesn't have a donkey. I don't have to worry about coveting that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah. what about, what about the new car you just bought or whatever? Okay. Um, and I'm having a little bit of fun with it, but you know, we do, we, we, we measure ourselves by the people around us, the people we see at work, the people we see in our neighborhood, the people we see at church. And so it's hard not to do that sometimes. And so when, you know, I think when we get into that comparison trap, we, we then start to, it actually goes deeper than just the surface stuff. What do you see? The how do I feel about myself? Because I feel unsuccessful because this guy has a better car than I do or has a nicer, you know, whatever phone outfit, you know, shoes, handbag. I mean, whatever the, the thing is that you like, um, as we start comparing and it becomes, you know, a shame issue of being around other people when they have nicer stuff. Totally agree. You know, any, so, um, um, I think you and I had ta talked earlier and you shared a story mm -hmm. that I'd love for you to share uh, around this shame topic. Uh, why don't you share that? Yeah, it's, well, it's actually kind of a fun story. There's a, a couple that was in our financial freedom workshop a number of years ago. And I just remember it because it was, it was just, anyway, I'll, I'll share it with you real quick, but um, this is a, a guy and they were working on their budget. They were really working through it. And, and this couple was really engaging. They were working hard. They had some goals they wanted to go after. So they had kind of engaged. They were on the right path. Mm -hmm. And when it came down to their budget, what they realized was that he was spending a lot of money going out to eat at lunch at work every day. And, and mm -hmm. what he said was, look, 
there's a group of guys in my office and every day we go out and we go to like the food court or whatever they were doing across the way. And he's like, we're not going to fancy places, but let's face it. I mean, just you go out to a food court, it was also like 10, 12 bucks, you know, at least just for a a basic lunch. I'm not talking fancy type stuff. Well, okay. Now you're looking at 50, 60 bucks a week that adds up. Okay. So 200, maybe even $300 a month. So anyway, so it became clear to them. They wanted to shift it. The wife says to him, Hey, listen, I'll help you. I'll make lunches for you and you can kind of brown bag it. And he, the, the, the leader at the table watched the reaction. And he was telling me about after it was kind of funny because, because he was like, uh, it was like, he knew it was a good idea, but the guys at lunch that he goes out with, he knew he was going to get ripped. And so he's like, all right, I'm willing to try it and we'll see what happens. Right. So he comes back the following week to our, to our workshop. Mm-hmm. And, and the leader says to him, Hey, how'd it go? I know you're going to try this. And was thinking, you know, and he goes, I got ripped up. The guys were teasing me. Oh, mommy made you lunch. Like, oh, I mean, it, <laughs> would you have PB and J today? Like, I mean, they were giving him a hard time. He, and he was like, and he, but luckily he was strong enough that, and his wife was encouraging enough and the leader helped him out. And he said, you know what? It, but it's working. Like I under, I get it. It, it kind of sucks. But after the first couple of days, I'm sure it'll calm down. Well, okay. So the next week, one of the guys in the group comes up to him in the office, not in front of any other guys, but says to him, Hey, I, I understand you're doing this. Tell me how this is working. So you, what's this budget thing? And what do you, you know? And he's going, yeah, it's saving us a couple hundred bucks a month. And we're able to do this. We're going to put some kids, you know, money in the kids college. Education. And the guy goes, wow. Mm-hmm. Well, so a couple of days later, he starts bringing a brown bag lunch, right? So what happened was over time, the next couple of weeks, other guys, and it wasn't everybody, and I'm sure they still went out to lunch once in a while, whatever, yep. but he actually shifted the rest of the group, but it started, his fear was around, I'm going to look like a, you know, an idiot around yep. my friends. Yep. So the fear was keeping him. Now, the good thing was the encouragement of the leader and his wife, and it's that, you know, kind of bringing things into community that can really help and that emotional support because he never would have done it on his own. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. It took some encouragement and and some help on, on an emotional level. It wasn't about knowing how to do the budget. It wasn't about learning another verse, right? It was about somebody had to encourage him to move forward. And it was a good success story. It was a kind of a simple concept, but I think every, you know, in everyday life, we have those things that happen. Yeah, that's it's a great story because it talks about how both shame and fear, right? Shame that, you know, they're going to ridicule you, fear that you're going to be rejected, and that's all because of like money choice. It's just a choice on whether I'm going to bring my food or buy my food. And I think it's a great way to just exemplify how emotions can be so central to literally everyday decisions. And mm. that's why it's so important not to ignore this, this topic. So on the positive side of, of emotions around money, I think one is that it's we all pursue and that's happiness. So like we, we want to have happiness in our lives. And we many times believe that, that money can actually do that. And, and it might temporarily, but we know that if we continue to spend and overspend, then obviously that's going to turn into shame and fear and anger and everything else. So happiness, I think it's another, again, positive emotion, but we have to be careful that, again, that our identity and, and what we have is not what defines who we are, because if it does, then we're just pursuing that temporary thing to feel better, knowing that I'll have to go back and do it again and again and again. So our happiness has to be at a lower level, but money does help us to see whether our happiness is based on the temporal momentary thing, or if it can actually be, be guided to be a true happiness that's based in relationships and having, you know, the right people, the right things in our lives. 
Because again, it's almost a difference between happiness and joy. You know what I'm saying? Like to me, to me, and I don't know if this is technically the def, you know, the dictionary definition, but happiness is more of a temporary thing based on yes. circumstances or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's that long-term joy, which I think ultimately, when you look at the financial side of things, comes from contentment. Yeah, the idea that you know, Paul said, I, I you know, I've learned how to be content with a lot or with a little mm-hmm. uh, in all circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, can we be content? Because if our joy is really coming from other things in life, not our stuff. Can I be content when, you know, things seem to be falling apart around me? There's a coronavirus issue and all of a sudden, you know, my pay has gotten cut by 20% or I've been furloughed and I'm living on, you know, but can I still feel content in that environment knowing that God's got it and I'm okay. And, and my, you know, I care about my family. I care about, you know, what God's called me to do and my purpose in life and, and those kind of things. And and to me, that's the deeper, you know, happiness is a little bit, it's a it's a good thing, but it's, it's even more though. temporary. Yeah, and it's the joy and contentment that we really want to move people towards. I think, and that we all don't we? I mean, don't we all want to experience that in life? Yeah, I, I agree. And and with contentment comes the fact that you can look around and realize, man, I'm I'm actually better off than I than I think I am. Uh, if I focus on the things I don't have, I can be very discontent. But but if I really take an inventory of what what I have in my life, not just the financial side and the benefits, but the relationships, the things that are you know eternal then that allows that thankfulness to guide our decisions and again this is what we're talking about we're talking about emotions that impact our money uh in in our money decisions uh any other ones that that you think are are good to touch on the comp you know positive emotions about money yeah there's there's one other and before i get to that i think because i love the way you mentioned thankfulness and i I, because i think gratitude is really linked to contentment a lot of times Yep. That when we can be grateful to God for things, we we naturally are more able to be content, um, and we tend to care about the things that He cares about, not the things that the culture cares about as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other one is more. I think we're talking about kind of big picture things. Um, and I, I was thinking about as we were talking about this before the idea that when we're actually doing like handling our finances, when I sit down at my desk once a week or whatever it is to to work on my budget to you know look at receipts and put them in my spreadsheet and those kind of things. It's, you know, the fear and some of the other things that keep people away from actually literally sitting down to do that. Um, but when you have a sense of confidence, so the feeling I would identify there is confidence. When I, when I become confident that I can sit down and do this, yeah. that is going to help me get on the right path. So one of the things that I, you know, used to think about all the time is how do I help somebody start to feel confident? Now, some of that might be the right tools, Mm-hmm. And giving them the right tools and helping to understand right how to do it because they have to know how to do it right the practical side. Yeah, yeah. But some of that is when they start to understand their emotions and and realize, oh, now I know why I've been afraid to do that. You can I can I can work through because if you identify the negative emotions and realize what's going on in your life in the back you know in the background, now I can start to become more confident in managing it. And once I become, then I start developing positive habits and I can move forward. Yeah. So I think the I, confidence on it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think confidence is a big one. It's a big one because people do, I mean, there is a journey, right? We're talking about going from negative emotions to positive emotions around money, but that has, that that's going to take some time for some people will take months, maybe even longer. And in order to have that consistency of keeping positive emotions around money, I think confidence about how you're handling things is huge. So thanks for mentioning that. Um, we mentioned it earlier, talking about the beliefs around money, because so much of, I believe, what you know, emotional triggers we have about money is wrapped around 
like you said, you know, more is caught than taught. So let's talk about where do money beliefs come from? How are they formed? Um, just let's spend a few minutes on what does that look like? Because I think knowing is crucial to understanding sometimes why we do what we do. Uh, sometimes we do yeah. stuff as a reaction, especially when it comes to emotions. So having an understanding of where it comes from, I think would be very helpful. Yeah, I think because I and I think a lot of this can come from childhood. I mean, some of the things like fear and so forth and mistrust can come from broken marriages or bad relationships. You know, some come from adulthood, but a lot of it do come from childhood. Mm -hmm. um, in the blog post that, that that I just wrote for CSN this last week, yeah. um, you know, I, I referenced the story of a of a young attorney about forty years old who made a lot of money. I mean, talking about like three hundred fifty grand a year, mm -hmm. um, and she just couldn't save money. And the, what was happening? What it took took a while to understand what was going on there. Because it kind of logically didn't make sense. I think most people would go, "Oh, yeah, you're making 350 grand a year, and you can't save yeah. money, really." But, you know, right? Um, but what, what there was a childhood issue there. She grew up in a large, poor family, and when she started having jobs as a, you know, as a, as a kid, junior high, high school, started working jobs, babysitting, doing things like that. Her dad would take that money from her in order to help the family, which makes perfect sense given the fact yeah. where they were. Right? I mean, yep. nothing wrong with that in a way. Except what she learned was when she had money, when she earned money, if she didn't spend it right away, it was taken away from her. So it disappeared. Mm -hmm. And so even as an adult, that thought process subconsciously came in. And if she was earning money, she would just instantly spend it. And so she just, that's just her, the habit pattern she developed. Once she was able to identify it, um, she was able to change her behavior pattern. But mm -hmm. so that, that, you know, you can look at the fear, whatever, but I think sometimes the things that we're raised with, uh, watching our parents fight about money, um, means, oh, gee, I, I don't want to talk about my that with my wife because it's going to be a big fight. And I watch my parents fight about that all the time. And it can come from a lot of simple things. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, I think, I think so much of what we witness as we're growing up in a family, and no family is perfect, even if you have a healthy family, there's still some form of dysfunctionality in all of us because we are still sinful people when we make mistakes. And I think when it comes to, I remember, I mean, as a child growing up and watching my parents fight and about money. And when my wife and I started fighting, it was the, it was the number one motivator. I'm like, I am not going to have my kids feel the way I did watching my parents fight about money. It just tore me up. And I'm like, I do not want this for my family. But I had to then go and say, well, what are some of the things that I'm doing and why am I doing them? And one of the the things that for me was true is we we grew up in a communist country, came to the States in, in the uh, early 80s. And there was probably some inner vows that I made. I know my siblings did that literally said, we're not going to be poor. We're not going to yeah. live that way. We're not going to look that way. And when you begin to make those kind of inner vows and, and have these beliefs that are so strong in your life, they're like laws that you cannot break. And that's what makes us react. And I think it's a good way to think about, like, is there a way, uh, are, is there evidence that maybe when I react to money, especially if it's a negative emotion, that may, that may be coming from something that I learned or something that I embraced as truth? That's actually a lie, you know? Yeah. And again, dealing with the fear, dealing with the shame, dealing with a negative emotion and just not allowing it to just happen and then say, well, I, that's just the way I am. And that's not good enough because you can't continue to do the same thing and expect different results. It's not going to happen. Right. So I think it's really important to understand that it's not that we're broken and messed up. We, God can redeem anything. And sometimes all it takes is just a revelation of something that just completely removes it from our lives. And before we know it, we're cured. We don't, we don't have that reaction anymore. And now we can have positive 
uh, feelings around around money and especially when we make uh, money decisions. So that's, I think, really, really important to, to be aware of. Um, so well, in a couple minutes... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, you're, I, I love your example because it's just real world and, it, and it's very common. Um, mm -hmm. So the value made, if you want to call it that, was I don't, you know, I'm never going to put my kids in that situation. I'm never going to go back to being poor. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing in the beginning because it motivated you, right? It made it motivated you to change, to do some things differently, to move forward. Mm -hmm. The problem is if that is allowed to continue too far, that now becomes I'm getting my security from stuff rather than from God. So my, you know, yeah. you know, saying so I'm, I'm relying on the wrong thing. Yeah, it's good. Uh, for my security. Um, and so as I think for for stewardship leaders in the church, as spiritual leaders to, to really, really realize that as we're coaching people through and walking with people and really discipling people in this process, mm -hmm. um, how do I become more content? How do I mean, that's all part of becoming a better steward, really, because right. it's it's managing our emotions in such a way that it allows me to be effective as a steward in the kingdom. If um I mean, I know people who are very wealthy that are not content, you know, because I look at my neighborhood and I go, well, you know, we have a nice middle class neighborhood, whatever. And I compare myself maybe to somebody down here. Well, he lives in this neighborhood, you know, down a very wealthy town. And he's it gets to the point of like, well, if you ask him a question, are you wealthy? No, I'm only worth about 10 million bucks. But the guy down the street's worth 25. He's wealthy. That's all right. right. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, you get into this relativism and, and you can never finish that, you know. Yeah. I love what you just said, because I think it's important to not just recognize that we have a past and that's influencing us, but that God's desire for us, especially as believers, that is that we would take on the identity that he has for us, not as the world would have a shape into a, the image of the world, but as he would have a shape into the image of his son. And I think part of this process for us, and that's why I love finances, because for me, it was the, it was the topic. It was the thing that drew me closer to becoming more like Christ, you know, because because without it, it, there would have been no struggle for me to. And I mean, I believed in God. I went to church every day. I didn't have an issue with Christianity and believed it and all of that. But when it came to money, it was the one thing that I just could not surrender. It's just struggle with it. And I think the fact that I had negative emotions around money, it caused me to take notice first and foremost, and then look deeper. And look at the fact that I had pride, I had greed, I had, you know, covetousness, discontent, all those things were happening. And it's, that all led me to the fact that I wasn't satisfied in who I was. And my identity was in the world, not in who God made me. And that forced me to say, do I really believe that I am what God says I am? So I think it, what I love about this is that it drives us. It, it forces us, if we're willing, to go to the Lord and say, God, help me to see me the way you see me. So that the things yeah. that I desire, if they're the wrong things, they can just melt away and not, I don't have those desires anymore. And I think it's important that you, you just said it. It's like our identity has to be in him. Otherwise, everything else we're trying to do, it's not going to happen. We can't muscle it. Right. It's like living for an audience of one. And when we, do, when we begin to do that, it, it not only is going to help us in our own personal family relationships and things like that, you know, maybe less uh, conflict with your spouse. Uh, moving towards achieving goals. There's some very positive things that come out of that. But the kingdom benefit is also another side of things. Like, you know, the people that are very affluent, if they're still living in fear because they're getting their security from stuff, are going to find it very difficult to be generous. Yeah. They may give, but maybe not generously because they're still holding back. You know, they're, sure. they're, they're hoarding. And I hate to use that word because no, a lot of true. people, that's a, yeah. you know, it's a difficult thing, but they're holding back because their security is in stuff where, if God's given them abundant resources and they have the ability to release it and do some really great things for the kingdom, 
you know, then yeah. if they can get past those fears, then all of a sudden they can live open-handedly and say, all right, Lord, you know, this really is yours, you know? Yeah. Um, totally different. So from, there. And, and it hits everybody on the spectrum, you know, from, from like a minimum wage worker, it could be just really learning to trust God and, re- and rely on him and not, and being content in your situation and move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but even all the way to the, to the very wealthy end of learning, you know, again, it's the same thing being content. Like I don't, I don't need all that stuff. Right. I can, I can still have a very nice lifestyle if I want to, but I can still be really generous. And my value system shifts from having, you know, a bigger car or a bigger boat or whatever it might be to, man, I want to do some cool stuff for the kingdom, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. it gets off you and gets it onto wh- what are we doing for the, for the kingdom. Right. And that, that's where satisfaction and everything else that we're seeking, the positive emotions actually, and, you know, increase when we are on the right path. And I, I love, I love that. Um, well, I think that's a great place to end. I know we could probably go on for another hour, but um, <laughs> to keep this at a reasonable time, I think it's good for us to end it here. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for being part of this. Always enjoy talking with you. It always challenges me. And I'm hoping that that'll, that, that has happened also for our listeners today. And uh, that you guys, as you listen to this, as you wrestle with this yourself, uh, that you'll continue to remember the way you get through this is by looking to Jesus uh, looking to him to define who you are, whose you are, and know that you have great worth and that God has given you everything that you need to have that abundant life that he's called you to live. Uh, again, thanks for being part of, part of this uh, quick discussion with us. We love you guys, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Leo. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope it was a benefit to you. And if it was, would you do us a huge favor and just share it? Share it with another church or stewardship leader. Encourage them through this word today and help them to be better equipped to not only live as a good steward, but also teach others to do the same. If you want to know more about CSN and want to connect with us, you can do that through our website at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. While you're there, take advantage of the resources. We have content that we're consistently producing, such as this episode. We have webinars and events that we do throughout the year, and we'd love for you to be part of those and benefit from those. If you want to support the work of CSN, we would love for you to partner with us so that we can reach more churches and fulfill our mission. And you can do that through our website by giving a either one-time or a monthly donation. Your support would help us to reach more churches with this vital message of stewardship and generosity. Thank you for considering a donation to CSN. Well, thanks again for hanging out with us today, and we'll see you next time on Stewardship Leader. Stewardship Leader.